Okay, and we're back here with Jazz Matters and the Jazz Matters podcast. Uh, our guest today would be uh, pianist Mr. O.J. Harper. And I'm here today with Vaughn uh, Coulter, as usual, partner in crime. And uh, we're going yep. uh, uh, to go ahead and uh, get started. O.J. is uh, he's, uh, on the road, so he'll, he'll be chiming in that in a few. Uh, what we'd like you to do is subscribe uh, to the podcast, uh, go to uh, yesjazzmatters.org, and you can also look at the uh, donation page uh, and donate, because we are 501c3 and we really want to keep this format going. Uh, also, you can go to the Jazz Matters store, and it is an apparel store, so you can buy sweatshirts, t-shirts, hoodies, uh, and whatever else is on there. So you know, we're trying to use that up a little bit. Also, um, we're, we're trying to do, uh, Jazz Matters is trying to, uh, uh, in the process rather, of doing some virtual concerts. So we'll um, keep you informed on that. You'll, you'll get, get all the information about that at uh, yesjazzmatters.org. So uh, like I said, we I'm here now, but definitely su subscribe, subscribe to it, uh, like us, uh, and uh, we can uh, continue to move forward with this uh, format. Uh, like I said, Vaughn Coulter is here with Jazz Beats Radio. And Vaughn, uh, what's happening over there at Jazz Beats Radio? <laughs> A lot of growth. A lot of growth, um, you know, just uh, being able to keep the ball rolling. Um, we've added a couple of uh, people that um, actually, well, a young lady that actually has a show. She, uh, she's, uh, her name is Lorna and she's out of Connecticut and uh, she is very well schooled in the music. Um, we've had a chance to speak and uh, we're excited to have her come on board and, uh, Add her her repertoire uh, repertoire to the um, to the Jazz Beats Radio family, and so uh, we're looking for more uh, talented people out there that want to do this this genre of music and be able to uh, educate the people about where it came from and where is it headed, you know. Yeah. So we were talking off yeah. off uh, we were talking off air a little bit about an article yeah. you ran across. Uh, this uh, recently uh, with the Donald yeah. Bird uh, situation with the, the sampling. Uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah. I I I enjoyed reading the article because it it kind of um, you know um, like I was like I alluded to you in the conversation. It's just the fact that information like that is quite limited. Uh, if not, it's it's non-existent. How. Um, the the, uh, the bridge between the foundational structure and the genres that have came after that are still very powerful, but the industry doesn't lend itself uh, lending that information out so people can be aware of how much we are part of a family that was established long, long, long before publishing and recording became a, a prominent uh, aspect to uh, the recording business. Um, so, you know, 
when I get stuff like that, you know, you got to wonder why, why isn't this an important, why isn't this just, you know, there's this knowledge extended out there, you know, um, and, and, you know, it's kind of saddening to me to see that, you know, you got to really, it, it, it's, it's really, you literally got to like really search for it and, or you, you're surprised that somebody puts it out there. And yeah. so, um, Go ahead and tell us what it was, basically. Yeah, it was the uh, it was the uh, um, the composition Donald Byrd wrote. Uh, the album was produced by the Mizell Brothers, by the by the by the way, and it was uh, the album. Um, uh, um, shoot, now <laughs> this escapes me. Um, but the name of the song was "Think Twice," and uh, stepping into tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, stepping into tomorrow exactly. That's the name of the album. And uh, the the song was "Think Twice," and uh, it came out in the '70s, of course. And right around the mid '80s, it became a very sampled composition by a number of hip hop artists in the hip hop industry. You know, took 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 it and and ran with it. And a number of uh, hip hop artists, you know, became hit makers from sampling that music. And uh, they actually, in the article itself, they had a chance to talk to the gentleman who was hired by Donald Byrd to come in and play drums on the tune. And that was Harvey Mason. And all those drum breaks, when you hear them, you know, uh, especially when it comes down, when you hear these, these hip hop compositions, you say, okay, that's Harvey, you know, and, uh, it, 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 it lets you know that the connection has always been there. But, you know, what, what can we do about the, the knowledge of this being present in, 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 the, in the present day music form, uh, you know, music world in the industry that currently it's existing now? Um, I don't think very many of them would have ever known this. You know? Well, but when you think about it, back then when they were sampling, it wasn't mm-hmm. that they wanted... Uh, they need to know who that was that was doing but in a particular sample phrase. Uh, they just liked the sample. So they just took that and ran with it. They have no probably had no idea who Harvey Mason was. You know what I'm saying? Or is, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. and so but they liked what they heard. So uh, and then that's something they so when once they sampled it and it got caught up in that that circle, you know, when all the that type of music was sampling, and you hear those samples in other people's stuff, the same sample, you know, in other people's music. Uh, no, they, they had no idea it was Harvey Mason for the most part. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they had never even probably heard of Harvey Mason, you know. But uh, uh, I think that uh, once uh, the record companies gotten a hold of, of the fact that. Uh, a lot of the music was sampled. It was definitely a good thing for the people who created the music because you know, it did help them, uh, you know, a lot financially. Right. And, right. and like I you said, um, when it comes to uh, the artists and, uh, that's actually doing the sampling, uh, some of them were pretty clever as far as how they would do certain things. Uh, right. Uh, but that came later, you know, a lot later. We're in the nineties. If you were gonna, if you liked a certain sound, but you couldn't sample it, 
what you can do is go and try to find players of that era to actually play figures that came through that, you know, that sound. And that way you're not really sampling, you know what I'm saying? And you're only doing a fragment or maybe just no more than one measure or two measures of a phrase. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's something that's not sampled, but you got a live person actually doing it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so they, they figure ways to get around certain things, you know. But for the most part, most, okay. uh, most of them like, the, they would rather sample it because, you know what I'm saying, of its authenticity, you know, the sound that it actually produced then is what they're dealing with. It's almost like them making musical gumbo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. But uh, I, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm willing to give them the benefit of a doubt. You know, I'm you know, yeah. I'm sure that that's what where their their motive wasn't really to actually make it known that they sampled anything. You know, they just right. They were to throw it in there and and right. uh, you know, because they like the beat, they like the way it sound, so mm -hmm. they went with it. Yeah, I'm willing to. Go well, there. you said well, you said uh, something a little earlier too that uh, you know how do you get you know the knowledge out to people, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know about stuff like that. Well, the only way you can do that really is you have to uh, have some kind of format or class that you can educate people on. on usually, you know, uh, it's, right. it's difficult to do it. In, uh, in in some uh, educational uh, institution, uh, simply because you know in those institutions, uh, the people that that are, are over music departments and so forth, they have a curriculum uh, on how they want music, you know, to be to be taught. So when it came down to comes down to like sampling stuff like that. Uh, they only teach that in the schools that um, are like a, let's say, almost like a vocational type of music school, you know, where you can learn mm -hmm. the, the techniques of engineering and so forth, you know, uh, uh, and because that'll incorporate all the sampling and whatever else you need to do. You would have that with this technology, but that only came through recently because of the computer. I mean, you know, just because of the automation of the music. So that only that, that that's it's not like sampling like we talked earlier where people sampled before it was virtual. You know, we talked about that uh, off there, um, and what I mean by that, there have been many many songs that were written way before the computer uh, was a commercial product, and certain artists would take a phrase from a certain song and they would use it. You know what I'm saying? So realistically yeah. they they didn't sample it into the technical phrase that, that we know today uh, as far as sampling but it was still a sample because the phrase itself was you know something that they literally in their minds cut and paste into their work you know without having to use a computer so that's kind of interesting so sampling is not new <laughs> you know it's just one of those things that, <laughs> no, that happens organically you know Right. Long ago, you know, a, a long time ago. It, it's yeah. almost it's almost like when you listen to a lot of um, a bebop tune. When you hear the bebop 
continuations there. There are many bebop songs, but that concept of the movement of the chord changes is almost like as if it was sampled from, you know, from back then. So you can put a melody across those and you have a different song every time. But when you look at the underlying part of, of, of where the changes of movement, uh, it pretty much is the same, you know, uh, when you're dealing with stuff like that. There's so many of them songs that have been written just off of you, you know, coaching. And those coachings are the same in, from one artist to the next. And they sample them and say, well, I like those changes, so I'm going to put a head across it. And now, and the concept and phrasing of, of like Bebop is, is consistent also. So there we go. You know, that's an interesting article. Can you tell people where they can find it? Uh, check it out for themselves. Yeah, um, the name of the website is, uh, 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 I believe it's called Jazz, and that's, I know I saw it earlier, uh, All About Jazz, that's what it's called, All About Jazz. So all they have and, to do is YouTube um, that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they have their own um, webpage as well, so you get a lot of other pertinent information about birthdays um, and they break it down from composers to musicians to songwriters to you know who played the saxophone trumpet trombone drums percussions it's pretty it's pretty elaborate a um, lot a lot of information coming from uh, uh, all about jazz right. and it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty good source for research researching the music and the artists and uh, they, they got quite a few very legendary photographs in there too. So, well, I know that uh, I mentioned to you uh, also off air. I had seen an uh, interview. Uh, it was basically uh, an interview with Brad uh, Marcellus, Terrence Blanchard, Wayne Shorter, and it was. Uh, there was something they touched on in the interview about musicians coming together uh, without a, a formal, you know, rehearsal and just spontaneously uh, getting into the music. You know, they had, uh, they knew what songs they were going to do and they had some charge to it, but the actual so-called arrangement of it, you know, was something else, you know, the spontaneous, uh, Way they approached it, and everybody by them being different individuals always had a very interesting way of approaching, you know, the, the, the solo sections or the improvisation sections and stuff. And they really didn't know, you know, what they were going to do, you know, unless, you know, unless uh, they were like by one person soloing, uh, another person might say, Well, uh, where are you going with this? <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> so, so, but, but, they, but they were right there in pocket, they knew enough to, um, to make it sound very interesting. And, they, and I, the, good, the good thing about being spontaneous like that is that the musician has to be a good listener. If he's a good listener of the people that's playing around him, he, he, it doesn't right. take a whole lot to make things gel really, really fast. You know what I'm saying? Because you've got those people that do a lot of listening uh, to their, to their uh, fellow comrades right there in, uh, on the bandstand then you get arrangements that are, are like, unless you record them, you'll never hear them again. 
I'm saying? And it, and then you've done like fantastic um, um, arrangements or let's say uh, spontaneous arrangements. And that's always to me. It's always been a good, a uh, real good way of, of of exploring, you know, the ins and outs of stuff like that. Because you can, as a musician, you can go in, let's say, to a jam session. And if the jam session is coordinated to where it is not chaotic, you know what I'm saying? Where, you know, you got mm-hmm. one horn player that plays like 60 courses of a song, you know what I'm saying? That's just outrageous. But the thing is, if you got it where it's coordinated to where, you know, the limitations are there on how much, how many uh, courses that you can do, um, you can come up with some pretty good. Uh, Stuff. Back in the old days, a lot of times players would play until they couldn't think of nothing else to play, you know, for the most part, which was crazy, you know what I'm saying? But right. at the same time, you know what I'm saying, there had to be another player to come up behind them in a jam session now. And it has to actually come from a whole different angle to make his interesting or hers interesting and not play the same phrases that the person in front of them played, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, the, that spontaneous um, um, band, that being on the bandstand having a spontaneous uh, reaction to a particular song has always been something that I've always liked to do. So, like I said, I don't I like to take it to where it's uh, it's, it's like one of those things where it becomes organized noise. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. that, when, it, mm-hmm. when it comes to organized noise, you know, you know, it's time to stop, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and, and not deal with that. But when you're doing it and you're doing um, the phrases and coming after them with a different uh, approach or your approach, it seems to make it a lot more interesting to listen to, you know, a lot more interesting to listen to. And you're not really putting it down to where uh, it's, it's necessarily predictable. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really predictable. So you can get a chance and get away with uh, playing phrases. And, uh, and, you know, and believe it or not, the less you play or the fewer notes you play um, always seem to be things that hold into people's memories, you know, especially when you're playing live on stage. You know? uh, and in right. some cases, you know, um, I've seen people get up and play every note that they think uh, you know, every every note out of every tone, all twelve tones and stuff, in, in one in one song. You know what I'm saying? And actually, said absolutely nothing. You know what I'm saying? Because you then stretched it to the point to where it's not even interested in listening, phrasing and stuff. So that's something that when they brought that out, that really resonated with um, you know the way I I would see jam sessions and. And spontaneous arrangements, you know, to be really set up, you know, to do things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. What if, um, if uh, you were thinking about doing uh, over at Jazz Matters, you were thinking about doing a lot more of that kind of stuff live? Uh, so mm-hmm. you try to basically, uh, like, like we always say, educate the people into really what's going on with the music, you know, and. Uh, Right. And that way, um, that way we can get a lot more response out of out of uh, musicians all over. You know what I'm saying? To, to 
basically participate. And uh, they, they, they would be able to learn a lot of things, you know, in that um, respect. But uh, as, as, as we go and uh, work up uh, our uh, different phases in the culture of, of jazz music, let me ask you one thing. Since you, you play so many different forms uh, over there at jazz, uh, at jazz Beach Radio. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, as far as your audience goes, how, I mean, is it like an even type thing or do you get one more than the other as far as the audience listening to you? Because uh, they can request stuff from you, right? Oh, yeah, they can request. We do have a, a request line on our webpage um, if they're interested in hearing a certain tune. Um, I would think that the the initial the crowd um, or the the audience that that uh, we're we're you know pursuing or want to keep around is the uh, is the smooth jazz um, uh, aggregate um, and uh, that is you know I guess that's the that's the main focus of our listeners. Um, that's our focus group. That's our demographic. Um, but within that, from what I can tell, is there's that group um, of uh, the last group of baby boomers, as I like to call them, that came up during the 1960s that were able to experience the sound of the, of the mid-50s. And because that, you know, that's only five years from the 60, you know, five years, 55 probably would be the, the, the most prominent group, those that grew up, you know, born in 55. Um, those folks like myself and, of course, you, you know, we're still around. And uh, they, have, they have a certain history with that, with that sound, um, the cool jazz, the, the, uh, the uh, contemporary and uh, and it was a level of it that you know that's still being prominent today that's kind of like called contemporary jazz it's probably in that same group from the 1960s all the way up until the 1980s so um, there's you know that's a prominent group as well Um, but for the most part our focus is always going to be on those individuals that you know are the millennials uh the gen xers uh the gen the generation z of course um but it's a struggle to to maintain that because sometimes you know um you get these other different genres of music like acid jazz and uh what uh i think it was called uh, at one time uh, more like a ethereal sound like the the groups like oregon and uh, Mark Isham used to do back in the uh, late 80s, you know, that had that ethereal kind of like meditative sound. Um, that that group still exists as well. So, you know, um, but for the most part, our focus is always going to be on that, sm- that smooth jazz group. And smooth jazz is a lifestyle and culture all its own, you know. And uh, it's, it's quite, it's on the global scale. It's huge. It's, it's, it's huge. Like, you, and, know, uh, uh, so that, you know, you mentioned that uh, the type of music, like you were saying, meditative type stuff, uh, 
preceding, I mean, the, uh, actually before the, what they call smooth jazz. Um, yeah. And it made me just think, I just realized that there was a, uh, an artist that was around here uh, named, uh, piano player named Nancy Kaler and uh, Steve McCraw. They did an album yeah. back during that time that had that same concept. And, and uh, it, there were other artists, I think uh, there was a, what was the name of him? Uh, there was another uh, music group that used to do a lot of that type of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. and I can't remember really the name of it, but when you mentioned that, it made me think of that. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've done one of those records before. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's been, right, exactly. It's been a, it's been a exactly. long time, you know, this was real meditative type stuff, you know. And uh, I was like, wow, I got to I gotta see if I can get a hold of that thing. And Oh yeah, it was one in particular that that I remember wholeheartedly, and I happened to enjoy what he was doing. And his name was Andreas Volenweider. Yeah, but he was one of the artists out there when I was doing. He just act popular for the most part uh, when I oh, yeah. recorded. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was the heart player. Volenweider played that. What did he call it? The electric, the electronic pedal heart. Yeah, yeah, that kind and, of uh, you know, it was, but it, it, it's a beautiful sounding instrument. Yeah, it, and he and, did a uh, lot of he did a lot of good things with it. I mean, and opened up a serious, uh, opened up a lot of people's heads as far as you know, making a movie in that direction. There were a lot of uh, acoustic players that you know played instruments like that, harps uh, and so forth, that wasn't really. Uh, in a situation where they did a, a, a actual CD, you know, where people can listen to that, you know, that CD of that particular instrument. And, and of course, they, he used a lot of uh, sound effects, you know what I'm saying, when he was doing yeah. it. Exactly. And, uh, and that was kind of interesting that he did that because it kind of made me go and, and look at that a little bit harder, you know, as far as um, different, uh, uh, Controlling pedals and stuff, and this was before. I mean, sequencing, right. sequencing was in its infancy at that point, and uh, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. kind of got a consistent, uh, uh, basically a consistent uh, 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 sound coming off of it. You know, like for that meditation. Uh, but that was kind of interesting. Uh, you remember any other groups? My, uh, mm-hmm. hold, hold on one second. My. Uh, Sure. Hold on, but go ahead and talk. talk uh, yeah, I think, um, let's see. Uh, there were a few of them that were prominent in the 80s, and, and I'd have to thank goodness for uh, one uh, air personality at the time that was playing a number of those songs was uh, um, the gentleman who had the... Uh, the radio show uh, Jazz Flavors on uh, one of the local stations here in Atlanta. And he would be playing um, a number of those very prominent songs. Um, and, you know, if you would listen, if you would hear some of the stuff that Pat Mazzini was doing uh, during that time, same time period, it kind of blended into that. Those sounds were coming from... Uh, that meditative state 
Um, and uh, I think the main record label that was producing a lot of that music was a record label called Wyndham Hill. Yeah, that's that's what I could think of. I, I, I was trying to remember that company. But yeah, they had a lot yeah. of it because they, there was a guy that, I can't, his name escapes me also. He, uh, I think it was Carl Win, Weather, Winter, the Weather, or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it was called Winters or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did some stuff about, about the whales. You know, he had these whale sounds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that was cool. So you kind of knew really where the direction was going when that happened. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> True enough. All right. Well, Lord, uh, uh, I guess uh, our guest had a. Uh, problem getting in. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap this one up. And, okay, uh, that's fine. We'll, that's fine. Uh, we'll get back on it. So don't forget everyone to subscribe to the channel and um, of course you can get, it, get us here at uh, guestjazzmatters.org and you can go and see everything you need to see about the, uh, the uh, organization. Uh, go to the donate page as well as the uh, Jazz Matters uh, store. And that's yesjazzmatters.org. And as we sign off, Vaughn, let them know where they can get a hold of you. Jazzbeatsradio.com. Um, you can find us there and uh, read about what we do at the uh, at Jazz Beats Radio. And uh, you can also reach me at uh, vonkolter.fm at gmail.com that's vonkolter.fm at gmail.com and also my um, YouTube page is Soulscapes on Jazz Beats Radio Soulscapes on Jazz Beats Radio and subscribe to that uh, Jazz Beats Radio uh, that uh, YouTube page because um, I'm starting to load up a lot of good stuff on there music that uh, that I play and uh, have some comments about those great songs that, you know, you don't hear anymore. Be but I'm the only one doing it. <laughs> um, I have no, I have no expiration date when it okay. comes down to the music of that time period, and have it blend in, and find the, and try to put together the finest mix of all of those uh, generations of music compiled in that uh, four-hour show. All right, and uh, until next time, Vaughn, I'll see you then. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, Peace. we're out. Peace. <laughs>